Welcome to the Principles of Performance podcast, where we discuss how to optimize your health, fitness, and performance. Drawing on decades of experience of working as coaches, consultants, and trainers to top performers, athletes, and teens from professional sports to top universities to the U.S. military, Eric Degatti and Mike Perry discuss topics and strategies of how to perform at your highest level and be your very best. Join us and our friends and colleagues who are leaders in the fitness and performance industry as we investigate and challenge the most popular training, nutrition, lifestyle, and recovery protocols. quick before we get the show started, I want to share with you something that we're really excited about. Mike and I launched Principles of Program Design just about two years ago. And since then, we've been working really hard on building more and more content. And we're finally ready to release some of that great new stuff. We're having a updated version of our original online foundations course where we've added three new bonus chapters. We've also updated our live course. And we're going to be doing that in April at Scale of Strength in Massachusetts. We also have three brand new online courses, including our exercise coach course, where we teach you our belt system of how we progress and regress and coach exercises, as well as group mastery, where Mike shares his systems for how he implements his successful group fitness training programs up at Skill of Strength, as well as something called Primed, where we teach you about programming warmups And then in addition to that, we're also launching a virtual mentorship where we're going to work hands-on with a select handful of coaches and trainers working with you every week on how to develop the best systems and programs to build a successful career. And then in addition to that, we're putting together a free ebook as well as a supporting webinar where we're going to give you our top 10 tips to a successful career in the fitness industry. We're going to share with you our secrets and our systems that we use that have helped us open up our facilities, as well as speak around the world and work with some of the best athletes uh, out there. And so to get more information on all of this, go to principleswebinar.com and you can find out about all the new and exciting stuff. Now, let's get ready to get started with the show. And away we go. Here we are with the Principles of Performance podcast, and I'm your host, Eric Degatti, along with my friend and co-host, Mike Perry, with episode number 64. Mike, are you ready to start the show that really started uh, about start, 20 I, minutes I wish, ago? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I wish we pressed record about uh, about you know 20 minutes ago where we had the monologue up. So uh, no, this is going to be a good one. So I'm going to let you go ahead and finish the, uh, finish the bio here, and we're going to get rolling. I, if I can even get through this. So my hope was when I booked this and I, and it took years to book this interview, just oh. so you know. So um, <laughs> when I booked this, I hope that the timing worked where the caffeination just hit right. And I think we've <laughs> nailed it because you're in for a doozy folks. So uh, not only is this guy going to be incredibly entertaining, but as you like to say up in, in Boston, Mike, he is wicked smart. Dr. Robert Butler 
He's beginning his eighth season in uh, Major League Baseball at the St. Louis Cardinals as the director of performance, and he oversees player physical development and prevention programs, nutrition, sports science, technology, integration, mental health services. Um, and so before that, he was an assistant professor and associate director at the uh, K-Lab uh, for human performance at Duke University for five and a half years. And this guy's got every letter you could think of after his name from um, earning his bachelor's in biology at Springfield, his master's in biomechanics and movement science and at University of Delaware, and then also a PhD in biomechanics and then did a postdoc at, at UNC in Chapel Hill and uh, eventually got his doctorate in physical therapy at University of Evansville. So as my father used to joke, he's got more degrees than a thermometer. And we, we are in for a doozy today, folks. Dr. Robert Butler is here with us. Uh, to be clear, it took me 14 years of post high school education to be gainfully employed as an adult. That's the way my wife likes to discuss it as well as my mother. So let's not let that lost on the entire discussion here but thank you it's great to be on eric you got anything else before we dive in here bud or what no we better we better go because this is going to get off the rails quick yeah it's, <laughs> all right so in your current role you get to work with professionals across uh, you know many different backgrounds front office medical strength and conditioning skills coaches how do you create a common language uh so you can you know communicate and educate between these various disciplines i think early on it's honestly understanding the value of a common language that's so often when if things are going sideways it's like well wait a second what are we trying to do um we've actually had some instances where like now with all this technology coming in from various areas and i mean i can think back to i mean i remember whoop from when john henry's investment firm was a vc for them back in the day and hrv wasn't the number it was actually on the 100 point scale and i was consulting with the red Sox, and they're like hey we're gonna we've been told we're gonna bust this out in spring training on everything's zero to 100 scale i'm like um we may want to think about this a little more right and and you know i just i'm not sure it's going to take well because you can't really like how do you understand what that is and da, 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 whatever and um and i and i only go back that far to say you know, that group decided being transparent with their numbers, not necessarily all their data, but some of it allowed for more consistency for what was discussed. Um, and then early on with our discussion with a lot of different wearables is like, hey, can you turn this off on the athlete interface? Why? Because we wanted our definitions to be specific that we could actually not say, oh, the black box says you are a wizard or an elf or a Valkyrie. Like, no, like, like this is these are things that are tangible that we're being held accountable for that we want to help share to support the athlete. And so I think often when, if we're getting away from that common language, it's coming back to why do we have a common language? And a lot of what we do now is, I mean, you know, baseball's had the metrics for a while, even some of the new metrics, there's a lot of familiarity with. Um, as we bring new metrics to the game, whether it's grip strength or whether it's vertical jump or whether it's body composition, we find ourselves not necessarily giving a number, but giving a number associated with where that falls in line uh, from a percentile basis to help more people understand efficiently what this where this where this is or what this value means or entails um and i think that that finding the definitions to having we would prefer that more people understand what the information means to get more thoughts to see where the overlap is to have the best decision forward as opposed to just be um cute and trick people into being right uh, because we don't find that as a sustainable model kind of going forward. So once again, it comes back to, okay, what is this? What's our definition for it? Um, what's the reliability of it? 
often when we talk about like, I guess one way you think about like that common language is our validity, right? Like and validity, you often say, well, to a gold standard. Well, what's the gold standard? It's, it's what do you know the definition to be? And so that's where we often kind of talk about why do we have to know what that definition is? It's like, well, what's our internal validity so we understand how to communicate this consistently so it doesn't become noise, right? There's a signal there that's intentional, it's purposeful, and it helps guide a path forward as a prize of more distraction. Now, does there come a point where you, we get blinded by too much information and we lose the, 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 the forest through the trees? I think so. I, I think that's, that's just human. I think we've, I, I mean, yeah, I, and I see it more now with my children and, and I, like, I think I've, I just completely didn't do a very good job thinking this through as a parent, giving my sixth grader, my old iPhone because she needed a way to communicate. And, um, I look back on what that was, was it sixth grade, I think, no, fifth grade, fifth or sixth grade, whatever, I think it was earlier fifth or sixth grade. And that was just the easy path for me. And when I think about from her eyes, the world that was opened up to her, the distractions that were opened up to her, that years later, I wish I could have understood better. And I guess we all like, we, I have three children. And so I wish I knew what I now had a sense of for how to support my youngest child. I wish I had that for my first kid. And then I guess maybe that's what parent and kind of life is all about. Just kind of being a little better tomorrow than you are today. But um, I, I think that's just human. And I think the I mean, where I see the best of the best go is they're just more efficient in filtering in what they actually need to pay attention to. And when you when you read all the books, right, when you read all the different stuff, it's not all the metrics. It's more of like, you know, what are the main things that we actually need to focus on that drive the gauges and the decision making? Um, and there's a reason for it. There's a reason the checklist manifesto and Atul Gawande were so impactful. There's a reason for it. And so... And there's a consistent reason and, and application to it. And so um, I do think that goes back to when we, we, we've kind of put this little, I don't, I don't even know, was it a motto? Is it a theme? But we've talked about, we really want to have top level communication that is driven by, um, that is driven by content that is connected to a curriculum where we have known confidence errors or confidence intervals. So that basically means we have communication. We're not talking about anything we want to. There is a curriculum of thought that goes through. The metrics we have are connected to that curriculum in a way that is logical and able to be measured and monitored. But we don't just say them absolutely, like there's some error in this. And that's actually kind of gotten us to where we talk now is it's like, hey, there is stuff we are not paying attention to. I don't disres I will not say that we are getting everything. But what we do feel we have is a consistent path forward of known information with a known amount of signal and a known amount of noise. And this is our best guess in how to support you. And that idea of of how we want to think about that has really, I mean, it's probably been in the past year where we've just taught as opposed to have no one has answers. In my calculator has answers. I don't think when we think about behavior change and we think about lifestyles and we think about health, wellness, and performance, they're answers. And I don't know that there ever will be, no matter how much AI or machine learning or whatever you put into it. Like we will have best guesses of how to take the next step forward to optimize what the future holds, short-term and long-term. 
And then the best practitioners will be able to reflect back on those decisions to figure out if they were, if it's moving in the right direction or how fast can we learn we're in the wrong direction and then pivot accordingly, all the while helping the athlete understand we're not just willy-nilly changing the goalposts. Like this is intentional decision-making to best support. Like no different than if you go to the grocery store and they don't have your favorite brand of tomato sauce, we're going to change because that's not an option anymore, right? But there's a logical process through which you go through to make that decision. I, I'm not judging tomato sauce, particularly with someone with the last name Degatti, but like, like I, pro, you're profiling. You really are, Doctor <laughs> Dollar. It, it didn't start with me though. Like I'm just adding to the profile. I mean, I've talked, I've heard about the boardwalk and the arcade and terrain. So like, so hey, hold on a second. Um, <laughs> so I think I think the point is like walking back as well as you walk forward and have the athlete be part of that journey. And some athletes want to be more of the journey and some, and it's not just about athletes, it's about staff. It's about anyone who's looking to change where their current state to figure out how to be better tomorrow. Like if you don't have a point to reflect back on to figure out there was a change, you're either just really happy with yourself on a day-to-day -day basis, which is awesome, but that may not mean you've actually moved anywhere. And it, 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 I think that's where the intentionality of, of the process kind of comes into play. So let's run down this development road. So in high-level athletics, you basically have two groups. You have the group that shows up great. And our whole job is just don't screw them up, which unfortunately we, we still do on, on a regular basis. Um, no, but then you, you do. Have I, no, I don't. You do. You do. Um, Mike doesn't. You do. Yes. No, absolutely. <laughs> um, so uh, with Perfect. that, we have, uh, and lumping us all together too. You heard that as well. But when you talk about uh, development and kind of breaking it down, like you have your physical qualities, you have your sports skills, you have your, and then the human behaviors behind all of it. Let's start with the physical component. Like what's the ideal model look like for kind of long ranging that, that physical development? So once again, I've been in this role for eight years. I've been probably consulting in professional sport for five years, six years before that. The one thing that I consistently see in the high performers is their preparation on a day-to-day -day basis. And so really, I, I would say that, I mean, and this has been a journey for me, but I'll, right now the target is, for physical development is, are you training with the right consistency and the right intensity, period? Safely. I guess that's the first thing before you do that. And so nothing else tends to matter. So we have, when we think about what our curriculum looks like, we have plenty of players on top level teams and our top level prospects and top level performers that are a very foundational strength conditioning curriculum, physical development curriculum. doesn't mean they don't have physical development goals. It just means your skills so high that this is supportive in nature when we think about maintaining skeletal muscle mass and, and foundational strength throughout the season and trying to gain throughout the off season. But if they're doing winter ball or other things, like once again, it's, it's supportive in nature. Like there's stuff so good. Um, and I also like what we tend to find is the athletes that get to the big leagues, like you don't have to be maxed out. I mean, this is not powerlifting. And I'm, I'm, I don't think powerlifters are probably maxed out in everything. And I don't know the research. So Brian, man, tell me where I'm wrong. Um, but it's the, it's more of just being in a good bandwidth that allows for skill success. Because it is very rare that we see people get to the highest level in our organization that have very low of physical development qualities, but they have enough. They have enough to support the skill development piece. And so a lot of it, when we think about our physical development program, yes, there is steps and there, are, there is um, 
places to go and there's progress and there's a curriculum and, and we want you to get there, but only when you're ready. And only if you value the consistency and intensity enough to be able to prove that you're not, that you're going to maintain safety as you move through the program. And so that's where the, like, we don't, I, I don't, I think we've moved towards not letting perfection get in the way of progress because really this progress looks like deep. Like when we start our off-season programs, which for the majority of the organization are A-levels down, we'll start uh, middle of October. It's, it's really, are you going to want to come and do this workout again tomorrow? And then, oh yeah, by the way, rinse, repeat until we see you in February or March. That's not rinse, repeat. There's adjustment, there's undulation, there's periodization, there's all the fancy terms are in there. But you still got to want to go and do it and carry it out. There is self-choice involved with all of this. And so that's where, when we think about those behaviors and those components of where we want people to get to, it's understanding you don't have to max out, but we do see the best of the best are consistent in their preparation, which starts with consistency with their physical development, intensity, and uh, frequency of their, uh, of their programming. So as a strength coach, could my takeaway from that be... And, and we actually talked about this in our course. We talked about kind of this, we use the jar of life analogy of, of rocks and pebbles and sand. Yeah. And everybody on Twitter is arguing about sand, right? Is that, that it may not matter at the end of the day, whether you did it with a, 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 a tidal tank or Olympic lifts or with a kettlebell, because yeah. you, you might, you could, all, all three of them could be right and you'd end up at the same destination. It is rare that I've seen the best of the best have the exact same path forward. And so that's where I feel actually a curricular process is fundamental to any development to understand what the options are. And because if nothing else, also like variability towards a common construct is helpful just from a cognitive load standpoint. And so understanding like what other options can create this safe physical development once someone gets, oh, just, I just don't want to lift. Okay, well, let's change it into be something different. One of my first interactions with that was uh um, when I was consulting with the Blue Jays and Russell Martin just came on board and he loved to do his conditioning by kicking the soccer ball around. Like, yeah, right? Like that's, yeah, isn't like that can work if you hit enough, whatever the principles of the day were. This is a, this is a catcher who's just like, yeah, I'm not going to condition. I, I have more fun and enjoyment conditioning this way versus that way. It's just not as difficult as we've made it. And we've, we've literally found on our lowest level curriculum that with the right consistency and with the right intensity, we have really good, not only just physical development changes, but movement changes as well. And no, you won't find that in the journal of strength conditioning research and you won't find it in strength conditioning journal. And, but just internally, as we reflect on our work, comparing what we did with one group versus another group, like it's like consistency intensity within a nice, safe um, bandwidth can, can do a lot of good. So, uh, you know, as we kind of change directions a little bit and we talk uh, a little bit more about athletic development for, for younger athletes, you know, Gray, one of our, our friends and mentors talks about identifying the overpowered, underskilled athlete versus the skilled and, and uh, underpowered athlete. And uh, I guess the question is, is, you know, look, whether we like it or not, sports specialization is, is here. But, you know, we know that there's some issues with sports uh, specificity, but, you know, I, I guess the question I have is, is with all of this focus on specificity, are we creating less durable, more fragile athletes in the process? My comment on this would be similar now as it 
is 10 years ago and actually now as a parent of this age group i'm probably not helping this at all i feel like yard work would help our youth athlete population more than anything right now like the lack of yard work the amount of button seat time traveling to these soccer games lacrosse tournaments swim weeks whatever would be much better put by just carrying firewood from the backyard to the front yard, pushing the wheelbarrow from the backyard to front yard. If you could get them off their phone and like, I mean, there's, listen, there's, right, I guess, I guess, oh, never mind. Just, I didn't say anything, but like there is a fundamental physical literacy issue that I think we're running into to run people into sports. And the, the rough thing for me still is, I remember 20 years ago, 20 years ago, during my grad work at Springfield. So that would have been like 99, 2000. Oh, I'm so old. Um, I heard, I was lucky enough, I was doing my, uh, grad work at Springfield and I was, I was a GA on the men's soccer team. And I went to the annual convention. It was in Philly. And I heard Anson Dorrance talk, who was the women's uh, soccer coach at, at UNC, um, talk about like how they built scholarships out. And at the time, I think this NCAA scholarship for women's soccer was 11.2 was their cap. I don't think it's changed much since then. If I'm like, I know NIL has changed things, but I don't know that the cap for the NCAA has changed. He's like, no one gets a full scholarship. But at the time, if you went to your average soccer field 23 years ago, what were the parents out there chasing? And it was a college scholarship. It was a full ride to UNC. And parents are still doing it. And I feel like there's, there's there, I don't know when it's going to swing back the other way. But I feel like at some point in time, it's going to swing back the other way to where we have a physically literate culture. Um, what is adult? physical literacy and health and wellness look like. And I mean, I kind of, you know, it's one of the things I've talked to Lee and Gray about in the past, like, and, and it's where I think we've, we've kind of gone so far off and I mean, talk about sports visualization for kids. Like, I mean, what does sports visualization look for? Like for adults, it's running, right? But you can't, you, you can't run unless you can run for 30 minutes and it takes you 30 minutes to get the right gear, to get the right shoes, to like, and so now the hour, the 30 minutes of time we're going to work with that turns into an hour and 15 because you got to post, you got to stretch, you got to stretch as a post. And so that's, once again, consistency and intensity. I feel like that's the biggest barrier to the next activity happening is time, energy, right? I, I mean, physically it's time because you got to go pick up whoever, um, but energy is another one. And the idea of getting over that energy hump to do all that preparation, to run the 30 minutes, to then realize the amount of calories you burned off is it more than the glass or two or three of wine you drank the night before? Like, it's just, where do we get back to just a society of engaging wellness and health through movement in a consistent, repeatable way that we can eventually maybe run 30 minutes. If we can figure out how to walk for 30 minutes first and to get that as part of our habit and to figure out the benefits of that. And then how can that really be a foundational platform as opposed to, um, something that I feel like I'm supposed to do because that's what the model currently looks looks like of of um, of adult uh, activity. Now, my next question: You're actually just kind of teasing a little bit here, but you know how much of this circles back to habits and behavior, and ultimately cultural, uh, you know, surroundings. Okay. Um, you know, I, I know that you've had the ability to travel all over the world, and you've seen some really. Uh, special places in terms of where and brought sports into to some special places. And if you want to share some of the stories about that, but like, have you seen places where there is a more ideal developmental model or does one even exist currently? 
I mean, I think the interesting, like being in my position, the, the one thing that's been really in, encouraging to hear is when you hear about the European or Australian like academy models where they have the on-site dormitory setting. And actually, if you hear about some of like the domestic major league soccer academies um, that start really young, um, they tend to value the LTAD model for these athletes. It's not just about like, they're already good enough at soccer, right? Like that's, they're already good enough at their sport of choice. Like that's going to be developed on the skill on the field or wherever it is in the gym. But how do you develop the attributes around that to complement the gross motor, the coordination? Those are really like, I mean, it's taught, it's literally building a physical literacy curriculum, no different than you build out a third grade math curriculum, right? I feel like as society, the United States society, we've already devalued physical activity when you think about what physical education looks like. And it's not because the physical educators don't want it to be like, want it to be that way. They want it to be different. They want more time. They want their recess back. Yes, they can do other stuff besides what is viewed at as the you know physical education model of of, uh, of decades past. But as educational society in the United States, we've completely devalued. We've said like, oh yeah, that's optional. So physical literacy and health is optional. And particularly now, as we think about what happens on the back end of a pandemic where individuals are socially isolated, where when you think about how do we reconnect socially, it's, it's usually through physical activity where people can do things together and thinking about ways to have shared spaces that maximize the number of footsteps on them, but also are intentional with thinking about how, like the tennis court's a great example for me right now, like, cause it's everyone, um, oh, it's just a tennis court. Okay, well, what could it be? And now the argument's like, well, you gotta have a pickleball court. Cause, and I love pickleball. I'm a big fan of pickleball. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking about going pro. Um, uh, in hurting myself playing pickleball. Um, but like often the discussion is, well, to do the net, you got to line it up like the pickleball court is, right? And so let's think about the number of people. Now people can play tennis at a time is four, right? At a max. If you take that same space and not putting the pickleball court the same way, same orientation as the tennis court and you turn them sideways and provide two portable like nets, you've now increased your number of people that can be physically active in that space to eight. Four on four on each on each side. If you take the same space and you put two basketball courts, two basketball hoops on either side of that, now you can run twenty people being active at the same time. And the people that play pickleball aren't going to use the space at the same time as the people who play basketball. Now you may have some overlap between pickleball and tennis, but now when we think about how to su support these communities with whether it's less resources or whatever you want to think the hurdle is it feels like it's more just a lack of creativity. And I, I mean, the one thing I will take from the pandemic, I mean, there's a lot of negative, and I'll, I'll completely transparent with that, as someone who served as Captain COVID for uh, the minor league part of our organization, um, it was how to adjust and how to be adaptable. And so whether it's programming or whether it's resources, I mean, and, and once again, we go back to, I think it was 10 to 15, 13 years ago. No, not, not 13 years probably 11 years ago, where uh, a former student of mine, Brian Beckman, um, who's kind of co helped coordinate the Play for Hope and grow the Play for Hope soccer academy, and that which turned into way other things in Kigali, Rwanda, like they started this jerry can challenge, right? And so 
which got me thinking about like, what can you just do if you have something heavy with a handle? And that's, I mean, listen, that's inspired by Gray, that's inspired by Turing, it's inspired by people like yourself, because in the end, it's just moving the body with additional load. It's not the implement, it's the activity with meaningful, safe form that can drive the change, right? And so um, when we think about what that, I think you're right that the environment drives a lot of it. How far away are you from the access you need? How far away is that, right? How far away is activity? Giving yourself grace to say, oh, I missed yesterday. Let's start again today. And maybe let's figure out, okay, maybe let me think about why did I miss yesterday? Oh, because this, 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 this. Okay, let's just make it shorter and easier. Like starting with one and resetting with one to go to two. And, and that's not just about physical development. That's about mindfulness. It's about giving yourself grace. It's about maintaining your anger. Like whatever negative thing or whatever thing you want to change, like simple goals. I, I was kind of joking with Phil Plisky. I did a talk last off season that was basically just on goal setting from a um, like an athlete development plan or individualized development plan. And I kind of joked, I was like, you know, when Peter Drucker's smart goals, right? Like, I was like, when did smart goals become stupid? Because the only thing I know that we've, we've done is we've overthought goal setting. Like, there's a time component. Is it realistic? Is it attainable? Is it measurable? Is it specific? Like, start there before you, like, start with what third grade math does with their multiplication tables before you start worrying about you have to make it no my AI program or my machine learning model tells me I do something different. The only thing I know as a health and wellness person is you just got to do it. It's not just going to naturally happen to you. And so I feel like the idea of creating the right environment to set yourself up for success and not just set yourself up. Like, I mean, listen, if you're lifting your, if you figured out how to lift yourself up, you better figure out how to lift up the person next to you in the community around you how to support them and realize, hey, hey, one day's good, man. Get it tomorrow. You'll be all right. You'll be all right. Because right now there's too much like failure in, oh yeah, I'm being told by X that, or I didn't fit in Y. It's like, no worries, man. Just try to get just one, right. But, but I, I, I think I'm a little inspired by Ted Lasso with this. I'm not going to take, I don't think this is a Rob Butler original. But for the past, like, I don't know, three to four months, it's just like, hey man, let's just try to do tomorrow better than today. And if we could give ourselves that, whether it's teachers or whether it's kids or whether it's our coaches, like, I think we're in a good spot. And I think too much of us get bogged down in not accomplishing all the things on our item today. So we can't even get to a better tomorrow because we, we're so frustrated with our lack of success. And the environment, I think we don't understand fully what the setting up the right environment around us and kind of giving ourselves some specific goals that, that can fit within that environment, what that can do for us. So I think the environment is extremely important. Hey, everybody, a quick break in the action here. Hope you're enjoying the show and we appreciate you listening. We're working hard to bring you the highest quality content and best guests every single week. So if you could do us a big favor and go and like and subscribe to the show on whatever platform you get your podcasts on, it would be greatly appreciated. Be sure to listen at the end of the show also to find out where you can find out more information about our courses, as well as a special discount code for all our listeners. Thanks again, and let's get back to the show.
Uh, as you're saying all this, I'm kind of thinking about the elegance of all the separate pieces and where they all kind of overlap of development and of culture and of specialization and where it can be right, where it can be wrong. And the, the, uh, what you're talking about and the message that, that, I'm, that I'm kind of getting from you is that the, the, the model of more doesn't always produce better. The, the better model produces better. And the, the example that I gave, you know, that, that uh, to kind of relate to, to, to the baseball world is when my kids were growing up playing baseball, one of my favorite things when we were, as much as I dreaded and hate tournaments and I could go on a tirade about the, the, the evil of tournaments, I actually, the only thing I took away is joy is that when we would go from New Jersey to Maryland and we would get our asses handed to us by a team from Maryland. And, and I would be able to turn to the parents at dinner that night and say, that team that beat us by 20 runs today from Maryland, they'll go to Florida with a team that plays year round and they'll get beat by 20 runs. Right. And that team from Florida that beat them by 20 runs will go to the Dominican Republic and there's kids with milk cartons for gloves that will beat them by 20 runs. Right. So right. we're so far down the food chain and those kids in the, in the DR don't have better technology. They don't have, they don't have higher specialization. They have a culture that, that breeds success in this for a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and honestly, I think that a lot of success, and I, I feel like we've lost this a lot, or and maybe it's maybe it's just I've lost this a lot. Um, so not to put, play to the to the rest of the world, but I do feel like the fun and enjoyment of things has been kind of lost, right? And like, why are deep? Why are and when I go down to the Buscones, um backfields to look at trials, like the kids are having fun. It was interesting. I, I've seen a couple of college facilities now that when they build in their stadiums they've actually built an intentional area for like kids to play sports and be active because it's really hard for a eight to nine to ten year old to sit there and watch a 90 minute game of soccer which yes part of it is exciting and our nine or you know nine innings of baseball but part of it the kids kids aren't meant to sit still that long so they should like be able to move around and so the idea of having those spaces intentionally for them so that they don't hate going back to the game is such a huge component as we think about the ecosystem and the environment that drives, Hey, like, let's, let's like stay connected with this. Like, yeah, this is kind of fun. Um, but I've rarely seen more often than not with the exception of a lot of calorie consumption with a lot of our players from the DR who are just honestly figuring out like how to fuel their bodies differently to create, to turn into big leaguers it's rare that more is the answer and more often than not, it's editing down to the simple basic constructs to allow for consistency with the right intensity and to stay on track. That, that is, is, is more a more of a catalyst to the, to the success of individuals. And then how much of the problem can we take the blame for? We, 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 we all sit on things like this. So we, we scream from, from the rooftops and we shout at the, the clouds about specialization, specialization, and how much it sucks, but we're just as guilty. Like we've created where, you know, I have high school athletes that go to a speed guy, that go to a flexibility guy, that go to this one and that one. We've created our own silos that it, it drives, I think it drives more people away to, to, from physical activity than draws them in. And that's not just on the, on the athletic side. It's, it's in everything that you see in, in orthopedics and sports medicine, so even what you see in fitness, it's like there's there's not this step back and holistic approach of what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Um, 
And I think that that's, I, I will, it's probably been just 12 years, I think, probably as I've been thinking about kind of how to create this athlete centric person centric model of, of support and actually just got off a, off a, a round table, kind of talking to people around the globe about all the different pieces. And I think all the pieces are the problem, right? The, the specialization is the problem. The number of tomato soup cans are the problem. Um, and I, I will often reflect back to like, what would a third grade math teacher do? And I, it's multiplication. Like, what are you good at? What are you not good at? Like, I remember going in and literally like, there's just a, there's a tree of like, he knows this, we're working on this. He gets more of this. It's like, wow. Like how many, <laughs> that logic to exist in across all professions. And I don't want to keep it just in the health and wellness space. Like, I think this is just, this is human behavior, right? If I can spend less energy to it and have the same exact financial output, like what's the problem? Yes and no, right? I mean, I, I understand from a financial standpoint, you have no problems with it, but we think about the overall support and wellness provided to that individual. When we think about the number of car trips that mom has to take to go back and forth, when we think about how that takes away from the mom's day of supporting other members of the family or whatever it is, like it's never in a vacuum, right? All these things have pulled us away from our root center of connecting with each other to provide a more community centric approach to health and wellness. And I, and I certainly, we've almost made it too many options. Um, but I, but I don't know, but I think that's, I mean, it's not, it's because people are looking for it and they're, they're convinced that that one next thing is really the answer. And it's hard, it's gotta be hard to not know what elite looks really looks like to be able to tell Johnny or Susie that we're not going to take you to the, to the, to the professional stretcher. I mean, it's gotta be hard. I mean, if, if, if you have access and you provide that for your kids, like, why wouldn't you? Now, I, 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 I mean, I still remember actively taking, I mean, I remember, what was it? Seven, seven, eight year old. We did gymnastics for my daughters up to seven or eight. And then I got a glimpse of what the next level of gymnastics look like. I'm like, no, no, we'll, we'll do tumbling, but we're not doing gymnastics. Cause that's not the culture that we're going to be a part of for her health and wellness physically and, and otherwise. And I don't know. And, and, but I've got the lens of what success could look like i'm not even gonna say should look like but i just know it doesn't look like that it doesn't look look like forced stretching by a 44 45 year old man who weighs 250 pounds on a seven-year-old kid who weighs 65 pounds and like no your back should go back this way well, slow down slow down and so it's got to be very hard and so i i don't disagree that um you know they're they're I'm trying to think of the industry where, I mean, I guess maybe cars are the same way. I, I, I mean, someone probably in the car industry tells you like we've created all this confusion from the car industry. I don't know. I, I mean, it, I, but there's got to be other industries that are similar. But certainly I think everyone is searching for that one more person to maximize their health, to maximize their wellness, because that's going to make their life easier, short and then long term. And I mean, you know, the interesting thing to it is is think about how long it's taken people to come around to talk therapy and and i only say that because 
all the other gadgetry that was thrown out before we go back to a pandemic, you can't go in person to talk to people. So now we're going to app our way to talking to people. But now we're we're going back to the fundamentals of connecting. Now, I'm not sure through an app or through a device is the, is the way, but it's now become more um, accessible and front and center connecting to another person as opposed to just going and find that gadget or whatever it is. And so um, it feels like maybe there's some pullback, but I, I can, you know, is someone who has family that goes to across all these things and is coached and da 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 and it, it's got to be really difficult to not have that background and not think that one more thing is going to be the answer. And so I would agree that we've created that confusion and I think it's been solely financially driven. And at some point in time, we've got to figure out a more holistic and purposeful mission to what we're trying to accomplish. That's not easy. There is no career path to be, and I steal Kelly Sturet's term all the time, to be a savage generalist. Like, I've yeah. fallen on it by 25 years of doing this and in, 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 in just my own inquisition into wanting to learn different things, into wanting to, to know how do I incorporate Feldenkrais and how do I incorporate uh, what I learned from um, people who are rolfers and how do I learn from people who are like in combining that all into the same soup. There's, there's not, a, there's not a, a, a curriculum that gives you that. I, I happen to fall across some good mentors that, that you know, kind of showing the light on those things, but it's really hard because if you're a young PT, strength coach, whatever, because there isn't really a path to, to, to that wisdom. No, that's fair. And I, 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 there are not many studies out there that show what leads to long-term development or success. And that's in the sports space or, I mean, leadership space and management space. But one of my, there is one paper that was done, I think in Great Britain, hockey, field hockey, um, and that, that literally followed 14-year-olds and saw like who got to the national team. And so at 14 years old, they measure their mechanics, they measure their physical strength, they measure their range of motion, they measure psychology, psychological aspects to them and whatnot. And, and then they figure out like who gets to 24, who gets to be 24, um, who's on the 20, national team when they're 24. And they, it wasn't the people that were physically stronger at 14. It wasn't the people that were mechanically more sound. It wasn't the people that had enough range of motion. It was simply the players that asked better, that asked questions, that went to go find people for help. So, I mean, to be clear, you have to have an amount of talent that you're on the 14-year-old junior national whatever team. So there's a level of skill baseline that has to exist. But the separator over the next 10 years was whether or not you're willing to ask someone how you can get better. And as you think about like that generalist and where all you like, if individuals, whether it's your, whether you're a strength conditioning coach or whether you're a PT or whether you're a manager, or whether you're a parent and you don't have a plan in place that you're trying to get feedback from and figure out where your gaps are to learn and then to fill to best support those around you, particularly if they're clients or, or family, there's some missed opportunity there. And I think the majority of us would say, well, it sucks to hold yourself accountable and realize you failed. It does. 100% it does. But it's also the primary way that we can learn to get better. And so that piece of it is there is, I completely support Kelly's comment. There is not a pathway, but there is a pathway for betterment in general, as far as how do we figure out how to be better providers? And I, I mean, when I was back at Evansville, I talked to Kyle and Phil a lot about 
Is this a job or is this a profession? And I'm not, there's nothing wrong with having a job. Nothing wrong with it. But don't confuse that with a profession. Because a profession, a job will require you to have development. A professional will find their own development. And it's not a problem to have one or the other. Like there's bills to pay. Like, like wanting to be a better professional doesn't help pay your electrical. I get it. It just makes you better at what you're trying to do. And can you be gainfully employed by, there are plenty of jobs that make people gainfully employed. That's a different discussion entirely. But if you want to about, think about optimizing how we give back to those that we're serving and supporting, it comes with a plan, figuring out some goals, figuring out where your gaps are, and trying to get better. Better tomorrow than we are today. All right. So let's let's kind of go back to the to the LTAD talk and uh the, the continuum of athletic development because you know one of the things I think people don't understand is is uh you know the magic happens through the journey and they think it's sort of this one event, but it really does happen over time. But the question is, is like, look, when someone becomes an adult or they get to the point where you know they're at a professional level, like how much can we really change as far as um, you know, obviously we know the basics of stronger, faster, but as far as like an athleticism and a movement standpoint, did we miss our window at that point? Or, you know, what can we, where can we have a great impact once they're finally developed or fully developed? So there are textbooks on this. So I'm not going to talk against the textbooks. I'm, I, I won't like the, like the, the literature reviews, the meta-analysis, they're all done. But if we're not thinking about what we need to work on improving, and maybe you can make improvements on it, but at least you can slow down father time a little bit. And the goal is to keep the best version of yourself. I've seen plenty of athletes post their window for improving running speed, get better at running speed. I've seen plenty of individuals because the consistency and intensity wasn't there previously. And so the hormonal ebbs and flows, the growth height velocity influenced ebbs and flows, all those are wonderful. But if all of a sudden a different plan and purpose is driven to that individual, depending on how you define adulthood, we've seen plenty of adults in a short period of time and some different than others improve their physical abilities. And, I, and, not, and not through anything fancy. Not just simply we're going to, we find this marker is well below average. When talking to other individuals in the skill side, they see this as well. We could work on this together and let's see if it translates into the area we want it to have a trans into. As a result, you're going to do X, Y, or Z different than the baseline curriculum because that's what you need as a supplement to fill this gap that you currently have already catch up, right? So no different than the times table. Class is doing this, you're doing this, in addition to or in supplement or in complement, however we think about putting that entire program together. So when an individual is a professional, I don't think it's fair, or even in a, just take professional, just an adult period, we didn't all get there the same way. And so starting with a foundation of, setting some baseline 
doing some initial work, tracking some initial metrics to see where the changes can and can't happen, and also being realistic with the timeline associated with that. You all, you can't do a pull-up. You want to do a pull-up? That's awesome. When was the last time you did a pull-up? 20, uh, 35 years ago. Never done a pull-up. It's going to take a little bit longer than if you did one last year. And understanding and normalizing that, the process and the time associated with it. And so, but I feel like the metrics that we set up and the and the way we get there are are, are, are the majority of the journey. So we can figure out and talk logically why we're going to continue down this path or why we're going to make changes. Um, you know, so I, I don't I mean, th there are certain limitations at the end range of ability that I, you know, I, I don't want to necessarily project towards, but I, I will say that there's plenty of individuals that have come through um, that you think are physically maxed out. And I was wrong. And the only way we understand that is through measurement and understanding how did they get there. So sometimes we're caught with this, oh my goodness, this guy added 30 pounds that we thought was physically maxed out or whatever it is. And and it's not 30 pounds of, you know, like it's it's a productive 30 pounds and not, I'm sorry, not a productive 30 pounds, but it's a good balance of skeletal muscle mass and, um, and fat um, to think about what that looks like to become a um, an elite player. And so uh I am now that being said, let me, let me as you think about the average baseball career is 3.3 years at one point in time was a was a suggestion. I'm sure it's been actually shortened out now that we have the reduction in the short seasons. You have to be good enough at a skill to ensure that the physical development gap that you could possibly close can you know be achieved um and so that's there has to be a, a foundational level of success to allow for that physical development piece to catch up um but i i, I think that um the only the only thing that i know we won't achieve is something we set a goal for and a plan for and that we track to figure out whether it can be achieved now I, you know i'm not I, I don't know that i'm talking about um things that are on the edge of being safe. I'm talking more kind of in the middle range of what homeostasis and, and wellness and strength and, um, and body composition improvements look like. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, you know, like once again, I know the textbooks and then I've, and then I've seen some things that I'm really excited about figuring out better. And so that's the, that's the, uh, but it's all come from because we could go back and look and track what do we do? What did the player do? What was their accountability? And then, okay, this is what, like, sometimes the players just need to know, like, I need to get better at this. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll work on that. Cool. Someone's like, no, like, I'm awesome at that. Yeah. There's just opportunity there to get better. And so, um, you know, I, I think uh, there's, yeah, I, I, I rarely hold back on the opportunity for people to get better, but there's certainly certain things at the end ranges of ability that are more difficult to achieve as someone gets uh, later on. Yeah, just one more thing on, on this conversation. I feel like you've kind of answered it a couple different ways, but if if we can kind of simplify it and say, if we could make your job easier and you had a magic wand, then you say, is there, if there are certain universal qualities, whether it be physical, behavioral, whether it be skill-wise, if there's certain mm -hmm. behaviors that by the time of an athlete showed up to you, if you said, if everybody could just have this or could just be able to, to do this, 
that it would make our jobs much easier and we'd have a lot, a lot easier springboard for success. So once again, you have the foundation of skill, right? Or I'm not talking like that's just the way the game goes, right? So I'm not. But if I had to pick one of these things, the behavioral is the most difficult to change without a doubt. Figuring out how to set goals, how to reflect on them, how to make changes and have discussions with those around you about how to be better. Just going back. I mean, this is simply going back to the, the Great Britain field hockey study. That's that's elite. And and it's and it's it's elite. I mean, not only does it impact what you can do offensively, what you can do defensively, what you can do as a teammate, what you can do to the community around you, but that behavioral piece, without a doubt, um, is uh, the ability to maintain progress when maybe you don't feel like progress is happening, but always reflect back on what the baseline is and where you come from. That that's without it, that would be if I could give. And to be fairness, if I could give the teenage group coming up the confidence that they should value themselves enough to keep track of their progress, I mean, holy cow, that that would be impactful to a level that anyone could feel. So, what do you got coming on in the rest of the year and in, in, in 2024? What do you got going on? Anything fun you can tell us about? Or is it all, you know, top secret stuff that we have to, you know, keep a tight lip on? It's, as you know, everything with me is tight lip. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, listen, I, I think fundamentally we're, we're just, we, we are, we're simply trying to be a better version of ourselves tomorrow than, than today. My, uh, you know, our big league season will wrap up today, but DR Instruct starts on Monday. And so um, we've got off-season camps happening. Uh, we'll have an exciting thing this year where the minor league players have like a dead period that happens between November and December, which is the first time they've had that with the new collective bargaining, which will be a good learning opportunity for all of us to work through um, and to figure out how we can best serve uh, in that capacity. And then um, and then on the back end of that, it'll be basically the 45-day ramp up until uh, until spring training. So, um, yeah, with there's not a whole lot new and exciting. Um, I think in the end, it, it still comes back to uh, holding yourself accountable. Um, to that curriculum understanding where your gaps are and and honestly a lot of where i'm trying to um to lean on this year and to learn about more is, is how to um support the the leadership within our department better to, to figure out how they can they can best serve um those individuals that are that, that they're trying to help out the affiliate level so um you know that nothing nothing that mccrystal or uh jocko willick would, wouldn't tell you but um we're just trying to be more consistent with uh with seeing how the, how how does that reflect on a day to day basis? I um my uh, my tagline is uh, I, I connected a lot this year with um I'll steal from Ted Lasso again the, the line about belief doesn't happen just because you hang a sign on the wall, right? And so even the times where we have metrics, often we'll just put it up there, but then how does it feed into your day to day, right? And and also understanding that we can help each other out fulfill that day-to-day -day mission and journey. And, and I, I certainly hope that those that um, that I have the um, opportunity to support and serve and work with, that, that we'll be a little bit more intentional about um, doing what that sign on the wall says and helping each other get there as opposed to maybe just waiting for the sign to magically turn everyone into, uh, what is it, elves, warriors, gnomes, or Valkyries or whatever it is. So then um, just being more, more intentional with our day-to-day -day processes. You are the modern-day Renaissance man, Dr. Butler.
You truly are. Appreciate you guys having me on. This is fun, man. Absolutely. This was great. And, and, and it was worth all the years of begging it took to get you on the show. <laughs> You're hilarious, Degati. Yeah, go, go play some Zaxxon. Go play some Zaxxon or Dig Dug. Oh, don't open up that. We'll have to have a whole nother half hour show explaining what that is to the youngsters. <laughs> That's right. 100% we will. 100% we will. No doubt. No doubt. All right. Great times. Want to thank everybody. Doc, uh, doctor, thank you for your time. Mr. Perry, any, any last thoughts on this one? No, not at all. This is going to be one you're probably going to have to listen to a few times and take some notes. So, uh, you know, get ready for it. Absolutely. Well, and want to thank you for listening. And this has been the Principles of Performance podcast. Thank you for listening to the Principles of Performance podcast. If you've enjoyed our content, please like and share on your social media outlets as well as subscribe and give us a review on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or whatever your preferred platform is to listen to. For more information on the Principles of Program Design courses and workshops, visit us at www.principlesofprogramdesign.com and follow us on all of the social media channels where we post new content every day. To save 10% on any PPD courses, enter the discount code PRINCIPLESPODCAST10 at checkout. If you have any questions we can answer or suggestions for the show, you can email us at info at principlesofprogramdesign.com or message us on social media. Thank you again for your support.